welcome back everyone to Torah Today Ministries as we continue our series called The Hebrew Key, where we take some detail in the Hebrew scriptures that is not even translated into our English ones, and we draw out depths of meaning from it. And uh, we fulfill the verse, I think, where David prayed, Adonai, unveil my eyes that I may behold wonders from your Torah. And I think the thing that we have to look at today is truly a wonder from God's Torah. So to begin today, I want to start with the story of Solomon's temple. As you know, David wanted to build a house for God, but God declined David's offer and said, your son Solomon will build it for me. And sure enough, when Solomon became the king, he built this beautiful edifice as a home for God's presence there in Jerusalem. And in Second Chronicles, we read the story of the dedication of Solomon's temple. And we're going to pick it up in Second Chronicles chapter 6, verses 12 to 13. Everything is made ready. Solomon is about to pray to dedicate this temple. And it says in verse 12, Then Solomon stood before the altar of Adonai in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. Solomon had made a bronze platform, five cubits long, five cubits wide, and three cubits high, and had set it in the court, and he stood on it. Then he knelt on his knees in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. And then if you continue to read on, and I encourage you to, Solomon prays one of the most inspirational prayers I think found anywhere in the scriptures. It is a beautiful prayer, uh, dedicating not just the temple, but the people of Israel themselves and Solomon himself to God's service. Now, the thing I want to focus in on is this platform that he built. It tells us the material that was made of bronze, and it gives us dimensions. Five cubits wide, five cubits long, three cubits high. Now, there's only one other object in the Bible that has these same dimensions and is also made of brass. And Solomon, being a student of the Torah, would have known what he was doing when he made this platform to these exact dimensions. Do you know what this other object was? Well, if we go back to the description of the tabernacle and in the instructions God gave Moses for building it, we read in Exodus 27, verses 1 and 2, You shall make the altar of acacia wood, five cubits long, five cubits wide. The altar shall be square, and its height shall be three cubits. And you shall make horns for it on its four corners. Its horns shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay it with bronze. So here we see what is usually referred to as the bronze altar, and its dimensions are exactly the same dimensions as Solomon's platform that he stood on, that knelt on, raising his hands to God, and devoting his temple, this temple that he constructed, to God's service. This is no coincidence. What we see here is Solomon symbolically making himself a living sacrifice because he puts himself on a platform the same dimensions as the altar. He kneels on it 
and devotes this house that he has made to God's honor. This is what we too are invited to do, to become living sacrifices. As Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? It means that on the one hand, we're still alive, but on the other hand, we've died. And it's kind of like what Solomon did. Solomon continued to live for many years after this day, but he had given ownership of his life to God. And when we become a living sacrifice, as Solomon dedicated this house that he had built, we dedicate this house that we dwell in, and we devote it to God for him to make into his dwelling place, that our bodies become a temple for his presence and his spirit. But he only does that by invitation. Yeshua was born in a place where room was made for him. He knocks at the door of your heart, and he comes in only when you open the door and invite him. And we are to invite him into our lives, and we do that by giving ourselves to him and asking him to come cohabit this house with us. Now, there's something else that the first century reader would have seen in Paul's instructions here in Romans 12. And what they would have seen in this is something that's very unique, and it's something we cannot afford to miss. You notice that Paul says that he beseeches them to present their bodies as living sacrifices, their bodies, the flesh. Well, if we go back to the book of Leviticus, which is, you might call the handbook for the priesthood, it gives all the details about the sacrifices. You find a detail there that is very important. And the detail is this. Any of the mammals, not the birds, but the mammals that were presented as sacrifices, they were always, right after they were killed, they were skinned. The skin, the hides, never went on the altar. What was inside the hide went on the altar. And we find this in Leviticus chapter 7 and verse 8. It says, And as to the priest that presents any man's burnt offering, the skin of the burnt offering which he has presented shall be the priest for himself. So let's get the picture here. I bring an offering, say a bull or a, a, a lamb, as a whole burnt offering. The priest who officiates at the altar, he would then kill the, the, the animal. He would then skin the animal. And then everything that was inside the skin of that animal would go on the altar. It's a whole burnt offering. It's an elevation offering. But the skin, the hide, now becomes the property of the priest. When we make ourselves a living sacrifice, our hides now belong to our priest, our high priest, who is Yeshua. But what's inside, our hearts, our desires, our dreams, 
our ambitions, whatever those are, we put those on the altar. And you can always think of the altar where there was always fire. You, you can think of it as being um, like a spiritual elevator <laughs> goes on the altar, goes up. And so what is inside goes up, it's given to God. But my hide is left behind and it's no longer my own. It belongs to my priest, my high priest, Yeshua. Now, what would a priest do with all these hides? I don't think they made shoes and purses out of them. But one of the things I know for sure they did with them is what we see this scribe, this Israeli scribe doing here. He's writing God's word. He's making copies of God's Torah. And in the back, you can see a roll of parchment. And what he is writing on is not paper. What he's writing on is the skin, the hide of a kosher animal. And so in the ancient times, when the temple stood, when the tabernacle stood, these skins would be used to record God's word. They'd be used to copy the Torah. They would be used to make uh, little scrolls with various passages on them that would go on the hand to fill in, the arm to fill in, and on the head. They would make mezuzah scrolls that would go on the doorpost of a home. But the hides would be used to proclaim God's word. If you've made yourself a living sacrifice, then what's inside? You've given your heart, your future, your dreams, ambitions. You give those to God. You're his. Your life is his. But your hide is left behind. It's now the property of your high priest. And he wants to use it to proclaim his word to the world. If you are a living sacrifice, then your words and your deeds are God's message to the world around you. And just as Yeshua is the word made flesh, the word incarnate, he wants you and me to also be his word made flesh. He wants us as living hides, living skins that are his property, to act out and live and pronounce and speak his word to the world. He wants us to be living epistles, living letters, through whom he can write his message of love to the world around us. It's an amazing picture Paul gives us in Romans 12. But now, where does the Hebrew come into this? What's the Hebrew key? What is the word we want to look at? Well, I want us to return back to 2 Chronicles, and let's look at that uh, second verse we read, verse 13. It said, Solomon had made a bronze platform. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we saw the dimensions, same as the altar. But that word for platform is very unusual because it's the word kior. And if you are a Hebrew student and you're familiar with the terminology of the tabernacle and the temple, you know that the kior is the laver which held water. There was a kior made of bronze in the tabernacle courtyard between the altar and the door to the tent. And that is where the priests would wash. And when they needed water to wash some of the parts of the sacrifices or to wash their own hands and feet, that's where they went to access the water. But one of the little known facts about this word is not only is it a vessel for water, it is also a vessel for fire, water, and fire. And though almost all the time it is translated as a laver for water, we do find in, 11, in Leviticus 11.35 it being 
translated as a stove, a place of fire. So think about this for a moment. This platform, we can translate it as a platform that is the same size and shape and material as the altar, but we can also translate it as a laver filled with water. So we can picture Solomon on the one hand standing in a place of fire, but also standing in a place of water. Fire and water. We'll be doing a teaching later on about fire and water and their relationship with each other. But let me just say right now, wherever you find fire and water dwelling in peace together, you find God's presence. And there are more places in the scriptures than you might imagine where fire and water dwell together in peace. But I want us to go to the book of Numbers, chapter 31, verse 23, and consider this. God gives Moses instructions for cleansing various objects and vessels. And he tells him, everything that can stand the fire, you shall pass through the fire, and it shall be clean. Nevertheless, it shall also be purified with the water for impurity. And whatever cannot stand the fire, you shall pass through the water. So if it can stand the fire, you put it through the fire. If it can't endure the fire, you cleanse it with water. What is the purpose of this? What this instruction is, is an instruction about you and me, because we are vessels. We're like wineskins. We are houses. And we need to be cleansed. But we are composed of two different kinds of substances. On the one hand, our flesh, our bodies are made out of dirt and mostly water. But we also are made up of spirit, which is non-physical. Our bodies don't do well with fire, but they love the water. Our soul and spirit, on the other hand, cannot connect with the water but they are objects of fire. Think of, about it for a second. Your body is made of mostly water, and yet inside you've got combustion going on. We talk about burning calories. Calories are a measure of heat. Heat is a product of burning. In your cells, you are literally, chemically burning energy. That's why you have a temperature, and hopefully it's around 98.6 or 98.7. If it's higher than that, you're sick, and if it drops too much below that, you're dead. So we are burning while we're mostly water. We are unique creatures. But we need to be cleansed both physically and spiritually. And so part of us goes through the water through immersion, but the rest of us, that invisible and tangible part of us, must pass through the fire. John the Immerser said, I immerse you with water, but the one who comes after me will immerse you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And in the opening chapters of 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us that every man's work will be tested. So the whole product of your life is going to be tested. How is it tested? By fire. It goes through the fire. Whatever the fire consumes, well, that was just surface fleshly work. But if it endures, it's silver and gold and precious stones. All of us pass through the fire. But that part of us that cannot endure fire, our bodies have to go through the water. God wants us to be pure. And fire and water are his means 
of producing that purity. We need to be clean physically. Who can ascend God's holy hill? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, one with water, one with fire. So I hope this, this lesson, which is one that doesn't really have an end to it, it's one that you have to end. It's one that you have to put the ending to as you think about what this means for you. Have you allowed God to pass you through the fire? And are your actions, are the things you do in your body pure? Are they cleansed? God wants us to be clean inside and out. He wants us to be living sacrifices. So, I hope you can take all the little bits of this lesson, put them together, and present yourselves as Paul begged his listeners, and I beg you to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or your, your spiritual worship. So until next time, I wish you shalom and God bless. The end.